0: scripture reading is from the gospel according to John chapter 7 verses 37 to 52 if you are able please stand for the reading of God's Word John 7 verses 37 to 52 on the last and greatest day of the festival Jesus stood and said in a loud voice let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink whoever believes in me as scripture has said Rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, "'Surely this man is the prophet.' Others said, "'He is the Messiah.' Still others asked, "'How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not the Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants?' and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, it's good to be with you again this uh, morning. I just enjoyed the, you know, the singing together, This the voice of praise from God's people. is just, uh, yeah, it's just amazing. We're continuing our fall series on, on Jesus' welcome and hospitality. Our text this morning is... One of, uh, is centered on one of the more important um, celebration in the Jewish calendar, the Feast of, the, of Tabernacle or yes. Sukkah, if I'm pronouncing it <laughs> properly. A seven day celebration focusing on Israel's journey from Egypt to Canaan. i will talk a little bit more about the ceremony, but surrounding the story of Sukkah is a an important narrative that exposes the psychological, the emotional, and the spiritual condition of the people that day. As he writes chapter seven of his Gospel, St. John sets it in a particular moment in Jesus's ministry when he is fast becoming a controversial figure. Chapter six does not end well for Jesus and his disciples when Jesus pointed out that the crowd was uh, following him for the wrong... Reason in John chapter six verse sixty six, um, it says after many, after this many of his disciples turned their backs, um, and no longer walked with him. And chapter chapter seven really enlarges on this theme. The trouble he faced at the end of chapter six is, is intensified in chapter seven. Chapter seven is um, structured around the growing unbelief. Of Israel, and the chapter really can be um, uh, divided into three parts. From chapter uh, from one to thirteen, about the unbelief of his own brothers. Part two, chapters uh, seven verse fourteen to thirty six, about the unbelief of the crowds, and thirty six to fifty two, centered in on the unbelief of the religious leaders of that day. In fact, from here to chapter 12, St. John begins to describe the different conflicts that Jesus will encounter uh, as uh, groups groups, uh, reject him. I think John is very intentional in describing the context of this proclamation. Unbelief and doubt and suspicion will eventually lead to violence against Jesus. And Jesus understands this, and instead of running away, he names their problems and offer them, offers them a way out. Now, I don't have details to go into uh, why there was this widespread uh, unbelief about Jesus. But I want to suggest that the seeds of unbelief resulted in the, uh, in the following. There are four uh, uh, C words that t- would be help us in our remembering. The seeds of unbelief, um, one of the seeds of unbelief is contempt, right? So his brother said to him So his brother said to him leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see your works the works you are doing for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly So if you do these things show yourself to the world Now why would they say such the thing that they want to encourage Jesus were they trying to support him Personally, I think that these brothers of Jesus totally misunderstood him. As if Jesus wanted to be famous, wanted to be known. Go to Judea, they say. Show the miracles that you can do. Show yourself to the world. Show them how great you are. No one works in secret if he seeks to be known, they say to him. In other words, if you want to be famous, you got to put on the show. If you want to be famous, you got to put on the show. And my feeling is that they were mocking Jesus because in verse five of this particular chapter, St. John plainly tells us that the brothers of Jesus did not believe in him. Now, it's one thing to be rejected by others, but to be rejected by your own family. That's got to hurt, right? The second uh, result is confusion. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. while well, some said he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke to him. About, openly about him. So there's confusion among the, the people of that day of who Jesus is, what his teaching is all about right? The third uh, I guess product of unbelief is a critical spirit. The Jews therefore marveled saying, how is this man how is it that this man how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? <laughs> Have you experienced that? Yeah. Where are your degrees? <laughs> right? Show me your experience. Who was your teacher? Which university did you graduate from? Right? Fourthly, um, cruel intentions. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. St. John's is careful to note that unbelief of the brothers, the crowds and the leaders was the background to the Feast of Tabernacle in this time in Jesus's life. Now the Feast of Tabernacle of Sukkah was um, the last of three important celebration in the Jewish calendar. Lesson of Sukkah was to recall Israel's total dependence on God in their 40 years of wandering through the desert. In these temporary, they built temporary shelters. They would eat together and they would gather uh, strangers around to share a meal. And in those moments of hospitality, they would be recalling God's provision uh, in parting the Red Sea, in freeing them from Pharaoh. Uh, Yeah, and feeding them with manna from heaven and causing water to, uh, pour out of rocks. And they remembered that once they were not a people, but now they are the people of God, part of a larger story, part of a larger community. They would be reminded that life is fragile and temporary. The imper- impermanence of their shelters was to remind them that their personal possessions were not meant to be permanent. What was meant to be permanent was their relationship with God and their wanderings in the wilderness of a picture of the transitory nature of this life. Now, on each day of the celebration, a ritual related to water uh, is performed. The priest would uh, blow the shofar or a uh, ram's horn from the top of the southwest corner of a temple and another priest would carry a golden pitcher led a joyous musical procession to the pool of siloam in the city old city of david and this pool and the gihon spring that fed it was jerusalem's only source of water so it was a precious uh, water supply at the pool the, pl- the priest would plunge the pitcher into the water and recite uh, isaiah 12 verse Three, which says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then they would return to the temple with a golden pitcher of water, join other priests who were carrying the wine offerings, and they would pour their libations onto a silver funnel on the great altar um, in the court of the woman. And they sang praises called the halal. Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. The Levites also sang and played musical instrument. In the mixture of the water and wine at the altar symbolized the life and joy associated with the Holy Spirit. After this service, the service priests holding willow branches marched once around the great altar, reciting uh, Psalm 118, verse 25. Save us. It says, Hosanna. We pray, O Lord, we pray, give us success or or sense prosperity. It makes sense for an agrarian society to beseech God during the driest year season of the year for help and protection. And following the singing and chanting, a great silence descended on the sanctuary. And the people felt and listened to the wind, reflecting on the personal the spiritual significance of the water rituals. Finally, a benediction closed, and the celebration, and everybody went home and gathered under their sukkah or the tents, temporary shelters. Now, many scholars believe that it was during this time of reflection that Jesus stood in the midst of that. So can you imagine that? All the singing and all the waving and the calling of recalling of Psalm 118, save us, save us, save us. And in the quietness of that moment, Jesus stands up and says, right? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Right? Let him come to me. A significant proclamation concerning the ritual they had all participated in, and it's a reminder of them, of Isaiah's prophecy. We read it earlier today as a call to worship. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money, and without price. Isn't that wonderful? in the middle of this dry time, driest time in their life. The offer of God is to come, drink. So in contrast to what was going on in the hearts and the minds of the crowds, contempt, confusion, criticism, cruel intent, in the midst of all the rejection, Jesus offers acceptance, right? If anyone thirsts, let him or her come. Now, I've mentioned this before, so I won't dwell on it too much. The generosity of God expressed in the gracious offer of life to all who are willing, everybody, everywhere, anyone. You hear that inclusive nature of Jesus' invitation. No one is excluded in this invitation even those who reject him, even those who do not believe in him, even those who have evil intent towards him, he says to all of them, come, come. He doesn't say if you're good enough, come. He doesn't say if you have, you know, some position in life, come, or you're mentally unfit, come. All, come, anyone, everywhere. But here's the caveat. If anyone thirsts, right? If anyone thirsts, even though the offer to everyone, yet at the same time it recognized that only those who are aware of their need, expressed by thirst, will appreciate what this means for them. Those whose lives are dry, those who have come to an end of themselves. Someone have said, you can laugh without reflecting on your life. But you can't cry without asking the question, why? Why? Dr. William uh, Ward, a noted preacher, once said, we should be thankful for our tears, for they prepare us for a clearer vision of God. And a clearer vision of God is what is what humanity is desperate for, especially in the times in which we live. Isn't that right? We need a clearer vision of God. For until we have a face and face encounter with God, we cannot truly know ourselves. John Calvin uh, wrote these words. He said, It is evident that man never attends to a true knowledge, true self-knowledge, until he has previously contempt, contemplated the face of God. When that happens to us, it's like having a floodlight shining into the darkest corner of our hearts, revealing our deep need for God. St. Augustine, telling of the days before his conversion, he says, I grew more wretched as thou didst grow nearer. I grew more wretched as thou didst grow nearer. And the Apostle Paul others these words of lament, O wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from the body of this death? And Isaiah's presence, uh, experience in the presence of God was, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Now, many of us sitting here this morning have had similar experiences, I know. right? I've had them. And when I finally made the peace with God, I discovered that he had always been there for me but I was simply too self-absorbed to acknowledge him. And when we're finally able to honestly face our spiritually parched life and our deep need for God's refreshment and healing touch, we discover that God is not a domineering father ready to criticize, but a loving one who accepts us for who we are. He knows us better than anybody else, even better than ourselves. And a wise and he's a wise guide for the for the for us to become the person we long to be. Right? If anyone, if anyone thirsts, come. The second <clears throat> offer is wholeness, I think. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. And the unsaid the unsaid part, I think, is drink and your thirst will be quenched. There will be no more need to thirst anymore, for we will be satisfied. Os Guinness in his book, The Call, begins the story with a wealthy businessman giving a speech at a Harvest Business School. And he says, uh, this businessman says, he says, as you know, he said, I've been very fortunate in my career and have made a lot of money, far more than I ever dreamed of, far more than I could ever spend, than than my family needs. Then with a tear rolling down his face, he continued, to be honest, one of my motives for making so much money was simple, to have the money to hire people to do what I don't like to do. But there's one thing I've never been able to hire anyone to do for me, he says. Find my own sense of purpose and fulfillment. I'd give anything. I'd give anything. To discover that here's the thing God has placed a sense of eternity in our hearts and no matter how we try we cannot shake it it's nagging feeling that a sense of being incomplete a feeling that there's more to us than meets the eye continues to haunt us and it is a quiet voice in our inner person that refuses to be silenced in the the face of dying and death. Those of us who do funerals and memorial services know this. All things being equal, death, no matter how natural the cause is, always feel a bit unnatural and unwelcome and shouldn't be allowed to have the last word. In his book, uh, Things Unseen, Mark Buchanan, former pastor New Life Community Baptist Church in Duncan, my home church, (laughs) recalled the death of his father. And he writes these words. He says, thinking on it, I'm both happy and sad at once. It's almost too painful to remember and certainly um, too beautiful to forget. It speaks more of things to me that I can note or explain. It's eternity in my heart. It's a taste, however elusive, of some other thing, some unseen thing, it is a reminder that the world is not enough and that every bone and cell in me knows that it's a desire for something that earth can make me thirst for but never quench." Even agnostic uh, Bertrand Russell, who spent most of his life prov- trying to dis. God, towards the end of his life, wrote these words. He says, Something in one seemed obstinately belonged to God and refuses to enter into any earthly communion. He says, I care passionately for this world and many things and people in it. And yet, what is it all? There must be something more. There must be something more in the midst of the broken beauty of planet Earth, a lingering vision, a hint, an echo that affirms our inkling that more than what we see with our eyes and touch with our hands and feel with our hearts is going on. Through this hint, God's continue to prod us and beckon us, lure us towards our suspicion that more is at stake than what we experience in our small little world. The truth is this, we need God. And the sooner we gather the courage to look in that empty space in our hearts, the sooner we will recognize that the only relationship with God will fill it. The only relationship with God Will fill it. Thirdly, Jesus offers renewal. Anyone thirsts, any from thirst, let him come and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Did you hear a switch in that proclamation? The one who thirsts will become source of living water out of his heart flow rivers of living water in Jesus those who drink from him that is believing him living our lives after him a change is going to take place and some of you most of you here would have experienced that change in your heart out of this heart or her heart the very core of a person's being will flow rivers of water Life-giving water. Now, Jesus isn't talking about limited water poured out by the priests, but rivers—not just a river, but rivers of living water. And the image is that of 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 life-giving water overflowing in a dry and thirsty land. Not a trickle, but a river. And when you think of the river rivers around the world, the Thames. The Rhine, the Ganges, the Yangtze, the Mekong. What happens around those rivers? Life happens around those rivers, right? Fields are watered, goods are transported, cities are built, babies are born, communities are formed around rivers. We're not to be ponds or lakes. But rivers that flow and infuse the land and the earth with life and fruitfulness. Even way back in Genesis, God's intention for human beings was to be what? Fruitful and fill the earth. Now, what does it say about life in the Spirit? It says that we're to live a life that is life giving, that is renewing to all places and people we come in contact with. The image from Revelation 22 is that of a river, a fruit of leaves that are for the healing of the nations. The fruitful fruitfulness of life in the scriptures is not found in stuff of luxuries like oil, right, or wine, but in the basic stuff of fruit and water. The biblical picture of the full life is not the vain pursuit of more but more of the basic. Psalm 1, tree planted in the, by the water. Revelation 22, tree planted by a river producing fruit. Marva Dodd commenting on these verses writes, all these images work together to create a tremendous hope to stir up longing in us for the abundant life, a life thoroughly nourished, well-watered, and healed. This, my friends, is God's desire for us, that we become life-giving sources to places and people that we live with and to connect with. A life, a full life does not mean to get more and to have more, but to give more and to share more. Jesus said, out of his heart or her heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, I know we're tempted often to, <laughs> in these verses to focus on, on ourselves, but I think the second part is just as important. As yes, in Christ we receive this refreshment and renewal in our lives, but though it is this is true, it's only partially true. When we fully receive Jesus, His teaching, His life, His word, we're to become these sources where other thirsty souls might find satisfaction. So in contrast to the unbelief of his family, the crowds, the religious leaders that led to contempt and confusion and criticism and cruel intention that eventually gave rise to violence against Jesus, Jesus offers us another way, acceptance, wholeness, and renewal. If anyone thirsts, let him come. I don't want I won't lie to you (laughs) yes when we follow Jesus we'll experience all that Jesus has promised but it's not a walk in the park right it can be quite challenging at times sometimes following Jesus Mm -hmm. will include hardships and disappointments and even death but even in midst of all those challenges the spirit gives us peace and even joy I've shared a little about our experience in China. Though we often didn't know where, what we were doing, weren't sure of the people we were meeting with, even at times moving from one place to another to avoid trouble, I never once felt unsafe or afraid. Never once. I remember talking to one of my students one day and I said, I asked him, I was talking about the change in, in, in the political system there. And I said, Well, there should have been a shift now. It's not as open as it used to be. You know, a lot of the programs they had to shut down and a lot of stuff they had to stop doing because of the political system situation at that time. And he says to me, he turns around, and he says to me, with a big smile on his face. He says, Yes, that's all true. But we're not afraid. We're not afraid. Can you say that? We're not afraid. We're not afraid. St. Paul describes the Christian life this way. Let's read this together. It says a wonderful verse. But we have these treasures in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God And not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not. Always carrying in the body of our death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we are, like always bring and given over to death, For Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Isn't that wonderful? It's kind of like a Christian manifesto, right? Especially that first part says, you know, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, perplexed but not driven to despair. So wonderful. Perhaps this morning, you recognize that you need Jesus. You need to, him to fill you and refresh you. Or you're here today and your spiritual tank is empty and your bone dry. I want you to take heart. I want you to take heart. You may be at a place in your spiritual life where wholeness and renewal can really take root and bear fruit. I suggest you take advantage of the prayer teams after the service, allow these praying sisters and brothers to wash your life in prayer. You might be surprised by what God will do in your life. As the scripture says, therefore confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of righteous person is powerful and effective. Jesus says If any man thirst any one thirst let him come to me and drink whoever believes in me as the scripture says out of his heart or her heart will flow rivers of living water may the lord bless you and keep you amen let's let's pray father we thank you for your word to us that we can be confident in you, no matter where we've been, no matter the challenges we face, no matter the difficulties that we're experiencing in life, that in you, we have hope, in you, we have renewal, in you, we can find wholeness. So I just commit each person to you today, especially the one who's hurting, that you will touch, Him or her with a new life and a new lease on life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org